Hello and welcome to the Wholehearted Healer Podcast. My name is Dr. Avine Banish and I will be your host. This is the weekly podcast that helps women pause in their busy lives, drop into the heart, and remember their next right step. I am so happy that you're here. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Wholehearted Healer podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Avine Banish, and I'm really excited today to be talking with Dr. Rebecca Williams. Um, Rebecca is an award-winning author, a psychologist, and wellness expert specializing in healthy recovery from mental illness, addiction, and life's challenges. Um, For the past 25 years, her work has focused on building resilience and embracing emotional well-being. She has been a program director at the VA San Diego Healthcare System and an associate clinical professor at the University of California San Diego School of Medicine. A lifelong yoga enthusiast, Rebecca also has been a yoga instructor. She was able to combine the ancient wisdom of yoga and mindfulness with compassionate recovery from addiction in her books. And so Rebecca, thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Um, And so I, I... Oh, I should also say, you know, I read your, um, your mindfulness workbook for addiction, a guide to coping with the grief, stress, and anger that trigger addictive behaviors. And I found it really helpful and down to earth. One of the things I'm really fascinated with is this idea that I sense right now, um, everyone is addicted to something to soothe them, you know, to different, to varying degrees, of course. I mean, not everyone's addictions um, knock their life off the rails, but certainly I think most people, I mean, myself included, and most people I know are soothing in some way to cope with our current world. And so I guess to begin, I'd love to just hear a little bit about your story and how you, um, decided to pursue this work, this life's work that you have been doing so beautifully. Right. Well, what I love about your podcast, Avina, is the title, first of all, wholehearted healer is really what drew me to you and and the idea of healer and you know how are we healers and for me it really was about um living I, I grew up in New York City in kind of a rough part of town and um, there was a lot of challenges and problems there including addiction and mental health issues and also loss all sorts of stuff and I knew something was not right in my family but I didn't know exactly what was going on um, there's a lot of secrecy as a lot of healers can tell you that they've been in families where things were not really above board. And, you know, so, so I knew something was wrong and I um, eventually figured out that addiction was a big part of what was going on and loss um, specifically loss. And, and both my parents experienced quite a bit of loss. They, you know, they're both gone now, but they were both adopted. And there was a whole lot of like um, hidden, hidden information, a lot of secrets. And I wanted to learn more they were not able to tell me. And so I had to go on this journey, this search to figure it out for myself, like a lot of healers do. Um, so I ended up going to college in, um, at Williams College, majored in psychology. And then I um, um, took a detour, started teaching fitness and yoga uh, before it was cool, 1984. <laughs> um, loved it uh, and still do, of course. Um, it's a lifelong journey. In yoga, um, but I I noticed when I was doing fitness um, and private fitness, people were crying and emotional and troubled, and I'm thinking, wow, I don't have enough 
knowledge to figure this part out. I can do the fitness, but I couldn't do the emotional part. So I went back to school to, to get a master's degree. Um, I applied to two schools, uh, NYU, New York University, and Harvard. I'm thinking, you know, it's a long shot, but I had this in my mind. I, I was intuitive and I was really preparing to get to Harvard, got into Harvard, which is cool, uh, and got a master's in, in counseling and clinical, and counseling and consulting psychology. More information, I wasn't quite, went back to get a university in Santa Barbara. That's where I really, the you know, I, I focused on addiction. I was under a grant that was studying addiction and couples counseling, uh, wrote a book actually in graduate school on couples counseling and addiction way back when, and really kind of got a foundation of addiction to try to understand it and realize, oh, this is what was going on in my community. I get it now. Um, and um, right away got a job at uh, the VA hospital, which is a, you know, kind of a, a you know, challenge in San Diego, one of the three top um, hospitals in terms of busyness uh, and was extremely busy for the last 23 years working there. Um, a lot of people, veterans coming in with um, multiple mental health and, and other issues, addiction issues, um, homeless issues, coming out of prison, you know, all sorts of things from A to Z. And I really fine-tuned my skills there. On the side, I was still teaching yoga um, because I love yoga and it was helping me stay calm. So my, my journey came from learning about it and researching in, in graduate school and understanding my own personal journey and also combining my love of meditation and yoga in, into, my, into my practice, into my, into my road. So that's how I got there. And these books that you mentioned, the Mindfulness Workbook and our other book, Gift of Recovery, both combine... Um, the research and the skills about addiction with um, understanding how mindfulness can set the foundation to be well. Mm, yeah, I love that. Um, and I found the, you know, the book to be very um, practical because I think sometimes um, when we think about mindfulness or yoga or, you know, any spiritual path, we can get kind of, um, there can be a headiness, but I think uh, one of the things that I really, the language in your book is just very, it's almost like a prescriptive, um, a prescriptive plan. And one of the things that kind of caught me, one of the titles of the chapter was letting pain be pain, not suffering. And that made me pause because I think, um, a lot of the numbing and soothing that we're doing in the world right now is exactly in that area. Like there's so much that we're holding on, a personal level, on a you know environmental level, on a world level, and so, can you speak a little bit about that and that idea? Yes, I'm um, holding on. That that's what I'm figuring out more and more. You know, my original theory back ten years ago, when my co-author Julie and I uh, did the deep dive into understanding loss and addiction. My original theory, um, which I could not find anywhere in my research or in my clinical library about why why is loss keep coming up, you know, in my clients as as they start recovering from addictions, just an intense amount of loss. I think that's happening now in the last three years. There's a lot of loss going on, grief going on, change of life going on in many, many levels. Um, and the other thing you mentioned, Naveen, is the, so there's loss on the one hand, which is humongous even to manage that. And then there's this overwhelm on the other hand. And um, that's what you're talking about, where people are finding their, it's, to me, if I was walking this morning and the, and the ambulance was going off and I thought, what if you heard that ambulance sound 
all day long, you know, just just the siren going and going. That's what it feels like and has felt like for the last three years. Like your central nervous system doesn't get a chance to rest because you're constantly on on crisis mode. Um, and if you're on crisis mode, naturally you want to soothe it. I mean, we all do. And so the use of drugs and alcohol, nicotine, um, overusing, you know, social media, whatever the thing is that, like you mentioned, everybody's addicted to, um, the body naturally wants to be well. And so the, the body naturally wants to calm down and heal and the mind naturally wants to calm down and heal. So we're going to start grabbing for things to feel better. It's normal. And what I tell people that, you know, we have to figure out other ways to calm down and to cool the central nervous system besides alcohol, which actually, you know, has a negative impact on the central nervous system, alcohol, mm-hmm. drugs, you know, especially, you know, there's so much going on with um, the opiates right now across the country. And so we're, we're trying to figure that whole thing out. But yeah, right. Step by step. And it feels to me like... W- each of us, you know, um, I'm a mother. And so even figuring out how to parent my children in such a way and myself, mm-hmm. like I'm wanting to build their resilience, to build my resilience, to build my ability to stay present and bear witness without getting overwhelmed by all that's happening. And so can you talk about, you know, um, using these tools, using breathing and mindfulness and resetting our nervous system can help just allow us to stay more present to life as it is right now? Absolutely. So you're absolutely right that um, there are techniques. Um, The the book has, I think we have 70 handouts and worksheets and little day-to-day techniques you can use. Um, On the short term, basically breathing, I know this sounds basic, but breathing is it. The inhale and the exhale and the pause between right at the bottom of the exhale. Um, I like the book is written at a ninth grade reading level. I don't want to, I don't complicate things. I don't complicate mm-hmm. my life. Everything is simple here. Um, and really recovery is really about simplifying. Um, so even if you can't get to a yoga class or you can't get out to um, a meditation workshop or a retreat and all these wonderful things that are going on, um, being in your own home and giving yourself, uh, like you said, five minutes to breathe uh, is really um, powerful. And um, don't underestimate the breathing and really um, slowing down, pausing. You had um, Octavia Rahim on your podcast. Mm-hmm. I, I love her book called Pause, Rest, Be. And she came to uh, needing to pause from a crisis and, and we're all probably in that zone. So really the idea of pausing, resting and being, and, and that includes everything from uh, leaving work early, taking a nap on the weekends. The resting is very important. Restorative yoga is very important. And there's a ton of um, YouTube videos and websites. I take yoga every morning in my own house um, on my, you know, television. Uh, you know, even though I was a teacher for 15 years in San Diego, I still am a student and I still take classes. Um, so I do recommend that, of course. I love that. And this, that reminder that um, it's like, it's called a practice for a reason. And if we don't practice, it's, it's interesting. Sometimes I find, I love to write and I read about, you know, I books on writing and I talk about writing. And then sometimes I'm like, when was the last time that I actually just got my butt in the chair and I wrote. And so 
you know, I think overcoming the mind, I love how you talk about simplicity because I think our minds tend to make things really complicated, right? So can you maybe, you know, you have such a depth of clinical experience. You, you know, I know that I, I worked at the Heinz VA in Chicago for a number of years. Um, and that San Diego VA is huge. Mm-hmm. Just, I know it's a very busy place. And so what about someone listening right now who says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like my life is overwhelming and you're telling me to breathe. <laughs> Can you maybe give um, an example of a time when these, these simple, but really powerful and transformative um, tools made a difference in someone's life who, who maybe was going through a serious addictive crisis? Mm, well, I can only, I can speak for my own, just what happened this last weekend for me in terms yep. of these skills, and then we can branch out to um, other, other uh, folks. Uh, so I, I got injured um, in a, in an exercise class this, this last Friday, and I was in pain. My oblique, the right side of my, the left side of my body was completely out of whack. I, uh, I couldn't walk. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't fold clothes. It was very painful. It affected my digestion it, and it was, and I had to go to the urgent care, um, which I don't like to do. <laughs> right. Uh, so I'm like, Oh no. Um, I actually used some of the skills just personally um, when I was sitting on the exam table and I had to get x-rays and the whole nine yards. And I just was, I focused on my breathing, inhaling and exhaling. And I let go of all that um, narrative of I'm really sick. I'm hurt. How am I going to go back to exercise? You know, all the things that are that all that kind of that monkey mind that people talk about where you're just your brain just goes and goes and goes. Um, You're worried, you're anxious, you're nervous. And I just let all that be a narrative that was outside of me. And it wasn't me. I was observing it. Um, the, all the thinking without having it affect me because I, I really needed to just focus on being with the, the doctor in the room. Um, so I, you know, I mean, I think that's a small example. It actually helped me tremendously get through a three hour, you know, waiting period of being in, in the doctor's office just this weekend. I feel a thousand percent better today. Um, yeah. Right. Patience. It, it helps a lot. Um, so, so that's an example of me, my, me personally, just having to use the skills on a regular basis, everything from little things to, to big things like having to go to the urgent care unit. Um, in terms of a, a client of mine, um, there's, there's, a, there's a ton of examples. Uh, what comes to mind is one uh, person many, many, many years ago in my practice who um, uh, he uh, was um, having trouble interacting with other people. He was using substances. We talked about um, not using, you know, tr- tr- trying to get off his um, uh, meth, you know, his methamphetamine and other and pot and a variety of other problems. Um, but he, um, th- what got him over to the next level was, um, believe it or not, volunteering and helping other people. I know that sounds odd, but, but uh, we got him to work at the Red Cross, which was life-changing, but to get him to the Red Cross, we had to work on some breathing and some relaxation techniques so he can actually go for an interview to the Red Cross. 
he ended up doing those techniques. We got him into the Red Cross. He actually became a volunteer, a very useful volunteer, and was giving out blankets when there was fires and other problems in the community. He had a walkie-talkie. He was very needed. Um, yep. uh, he, he was in recovery at that point, luckily, and, and he stayed clean and sober. Um, he told me that he used those techniques to um, continue to interact with the people at the Red Cross. Um, and that was sort of a, you know, a small story that that had a big, big, big impact for him anyway. So I love that. And, you know, I think so many of us in a lot of the work that I do with people, there seems to be like a crisis of purpose. Like what's my purpose? What am I supposed to do? And I think all of us right now in the world, we want to do something right. And we often get caught in overwhelm because there's so much to do and we don't know where to begin. But um, I love that example because I think doing something for others, like getting out of our own little, it's our own universe, but our own world of whatever's going on. Like when you were saying you were, you know, injured over the weekend and you kind of got lost in all of the the what ifs and the, um, the like victim mentality, even, you know, you were really suffering, but you were, it was made worse by all of your thoughts that you were piling on. So I love that, um, about just getting our outside of ourselves and helping someone else and how that shifts our whole being. And I think it probably shifts our nervous system because that sense of gratitude and appreciation changes us. Exactly. Yeah. And and there's something about feeling less overwhelmed when you can refocus your attention on someone who needs your care. And I know for me as a yoga instructor, I, I worked, you know, however many hours a week at the hospital, but by the time Sunday morning came, I needed to be an instructor to, to, you know, tend to, you could say the folks that were in my class. And it was these were folks who kept coming back for 15 years. We knew we knew each other very, very well, but there was a sense of connection in just um, being there and um, me giving my time to that experience. So I agree with you 100% that, that to be able to turn yourself away from the, the chatter and look to see who needs something, uh, even if it's something small, like you know, opening it, you know, I think I, an older woman was at the grocery store. She needed help uh, reaching something at the top shelf for the, for the salad area. And I was like, yeah, I could do that. I mean, it, it was so simple, but it was just like, that felt good for me. She needed it. It felt good for me. And, and we were both happy. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, there was like a sense of connection and the beginning of community, like exactly. this remembrance that we're all connected. Exactly. I wonder if you could speak to, you know, you've been such a caretaker of others in a tough field, in a field that I, um, I can only assume there's a lot of burnout. Um, and I think burnout, I'm part of a physician's group online. And I was talking to my husband about a post I read recently, an anonymous post, just about, um, someone who was feeling really overwhelmed and who was, you know, really debating if they could stay in this field that they were doing, helping others, or if they just had to, had to get out. And, um, So I wonder how, you know, these tools in your book and your work is used for people who are, you know, working through addiction, but I I, I sense too that, you know, they can be equally useful for people in the helping professions, you know, not just the physicians and the psychologists, but the nurses and the teachers and the helpers of the world. Can you speak to that? 
Yes, I love this topic. I've done a couple of webinars, international webinars on burnout with physicians and um, naturopathic physicians and other folks. And I uh, love talking about burnout. In fact, I taught classes while I was in San Diego on burnout. I thought I was the one <laughs> to talk about burnout. Lo and behold, you know, like look in the mirror, honey. But it's, it's, um, I was definitely, um, after 23 years working, uh, I was definitely like, as you said, feeling the pain and really, um, the only way I could get through that period of time was to be an expert at the problem. So for me, if the problem is burnout, I would do a deep dive, get all the information I could on burnout, understand it, take classes, you know, like as what you're doing and what you're, what you're offering to other physicians. Fantastic. Um, Nurses and doctors need these classes. I mean, they just need to take a break, even if it's just taking a break for an hour to take a class on five ways to prevent burnout. You know, I mean, burnout to me is a word that is overused and not quite right. Um, It's much, much deeper than those two little words. Um, It's a spiritual disconnect. It's an emotional disconnect. It's a medical um, disconnect. And um, I think that the best way to to give advice um, to someone who's in the profession of nursing or a doctor or psychologist who is right at the cusp of figuring out I don't know if I can stay in this. I would say clearly um, there's a word called sabbatical for a reason. And I do think that um, we must support each other and provide opportunities for small sabbaticals, which a sabbatical is just time away. And um, I wouldn't take that lightly. I think it's a big deal. If you feel like you're burnt out, you're probably 10 times more burnt out, you know, than you realize. So Take those times. I did a a four day uh, silent retreat um, when I was um, struggling. (laughs) It was harder than it sounds, (laughs) as you probably know. Yeah. All those toxic feelings come out in a silent retreat and you have no idea what's going on. Um, The ground gets lifted out from under you for four days. But, um, you know, at at the end of that time frame, I felt more myself and I was able to go back into the profession for another four or five years. Um, so that's one piece. And what you mentioned about the books, you're right that, uh, uh, Julie, my co-author and I, um, she's a marriage and family therapist. I'm a psychologist. So we have both of these kind of viewpoints and we were, we really talked about wanting this to be so easy for therapists. And now it's all virtual counseling, which I think is, has its pluses and minuses, but we want a therapist to pick up the book and be able to, um, really just um, really turn to any page and be able to have say, oh, yeah, that's right. I can do this with my client today. I don't have to reinvent the wheel. So it, it gives us a, like a 10% improvement in being able to get to a, a topic that you can work on with a client who's in recovery from addiction. And hopefully, hopefully that works. That's what we've, that's the feedback we've received that people love, you know, like you love sections of it. People love other sections of it and they can use it right away. That's great. And I love your advice about, you know, I think part of the, um, part of the issue with burnout is that we think oftentimes it's like an all or nothing, right? Like you're saying, like you jump ship or you put your head down and you slog through. But, um, I've had that experience too, that sometimes just a weekend retreat can like, 
I think it's related to resetting your nervous system, mm-hmm. expanding your perspective, uh, but it can really just help you like come home to yourself in a way that you don't even realize when you're out of sync, how disconnected you've become. And so um, Octavia Rahim's work is so beautiful in that way, because um, I notice in myself, I'm getting over COVID and like this forced, um, forced rest. Right. And I'm just noticing in myself, the resistance to, you know, once I start feeling better, but I'm not hundred percent better. Like I want to get back and go, 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 you know, but I think the, the message to me has been no, Avian rest, you know, rest in a way that's generative and restorative and nourishing. Um, and I think for the helpers of the world, the people called to these professions, we're so used to helping others that the idea of um, pausing and helping ourselves, we often think it's it kind of gets like mixed up, like it's selfish or something, or that we're failing somehow. Yeah, that's a, a false narrative. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 want, I want people to understand that those things like um, uh, failing or selfish or, you know, you know, those are words that I don't know where they come from, but they're not accurate. They're not, they're not mm-hmm. facts. And so let's stick with the facts. And um, the, the, the emotional negativity is um, part of the burnout, in other words. Um, so that's, you know, how denial is part of addiction, that those false thoughts are part of the burnout zone. And we have to acknowledge for what, what those are. And they're not, um, are they, and I always ask the question, is it, is it kind? Um, am I being kind to myself? My big, big thing, as you probably can guess, because yours is too, is self-compassion, self-kindness, self-awareness, the, the, the triad. Um, and if you can kind of reflect back on, as you as you are recovering um, from COVID, if you can reflect, am I being kind to myself today? And really ask yourself this beautiful question, what do I need today? I mean, that all goes to my heart, even just saying it out loud, because um, we want to be able to offer people in recovery and also doctors and nurses and therapists um, the heart, the wholehearted question, am I, what do I need today? And, and literally answer it. So for you, it could be gardening, or for me, it could be cooking a vegetarian meal. I mean, it, you know, simplify, it doesn't have to be huge, but just that's all we need to do today. Uh, I've literally changed the way I do my, my to-do list. I used to have like, you know, 15, 20 things on my to-do list and I check off like six maybe. And I'd be like, Oh man, what's going on? Why can't I get these 15 things done today? But now I put no more than five things on my list and I'm allowed to check off three and that's it. And, you know, so I just have to dial it back and be happy with the three things. This podcast is one of those things. Yay. And so I'm good. Now I just have two more. And so, but yeah, you just have to just, you know, be kind, like, like self-compassion is what would my best friend say to me? Mm -hmm. Like for you, uh, Evine, if you're having a rough day, should I go back to work? Should I do this? Should I do that? Um, What would your best friend say to you right now? I love that. And often our best friends like speak a truth that we're like, oh man, like we know it's true anyway, but hearing it from them um, makes it kind of somehow sink in. I'm curious, you know, with this shift in how you're living from the kind of frenzied, get it all done, beat yourself up to this new way of spaciousness and 
Um, do you notice a difference in your mindset and your energy? What do you notice? Yeah. And that's what I'm working on as a writing project now is, is trying to figure this out is the, the difference between that type A, get, you know, kick ass, get it done, uh, take names situation, work, you know, 10 hours a day um, thing to um, where I am now. And um, one thing I remember about working so much, you know, three jobs in San Diego, you know, making it happen is one, one, Three, three or four years ago, I finished a 10 hour day and I was in my car. <clears throat> I put my hand on my heart and I then I put my other hand on on top of that hand and I'm going like, what's happening? And I just said to myself, I forgive you. And I, and I, I said, what? Uh, <laughs> so essentially, I forgave myself. It was odd. I forgave myself for choosing such a difficult profession. And um, it really changed how I functioned from then on out. It was an odd thing. I had never even thought of the idea of allowing myself to forgive myself for choosing the profession. (laughs) It seems strange, but it helped me. And um, so from then on, I was able to calm down. Um, and sometimes I do still put my hand on my heart and this is what we do in yoga also to, um, reconnect like, like you talk about a lot, um, in your podcast. Um, so the transition was really like that. I was allowing myself to release, um, hardcore psychology and everything that went along with that and, and reconnect with the parts of me that I really like. I had to actually look at a picture of myself, of when I was like three or four years old, looking really happy. And I said, oh my God, (laughs) what a happy, cute little kid. It's adorable. And so I'm like, oh, so I, and I look at that little kid, like I have a picture on my phone and I just look at her and I'm going like, oh yeah, that's right. And so that's what I'm doing now. It wasn't difficult to transition other than there's a lot of, um, kind of detoxing that happens like over the, you know, my husband's also a psychologist. So between us, we were doing, we're, and he's also um, transitioned out of being a full-time psychologist. So um, it's taken us time to let all of other people's problems go and um, return back to who we really are. And I think I really am that little kid in the picture, that little fun kid. And I think she's pretty nice. I like her. (laughs) That's such a beautiful and powerful story. I mean, because I agree, I think that there's grief. You know, I think the people who are called to this work, the healers of the world, um, begin um, as that three and four-year-old, like super joyful kid, right? And so then there is that, that moment of awareness that maybe we've forgotten ourselves in, right? The helping and the saving. Um, and that it's, that we can feel that grief or that we can feel the grief that, um, you know, I know many, there are many empaths in this work that, that they can feel the grief and the suffering that um, even if they work 24 hours a day, wouldn't make a dent in. And so it's, it's this beautiful, like full circle moment where um, it's both and right. Like both can be true. And I can still take care of myself and rest and love myself as needed. And then what's really curious is that, in the end of that, our work may be more effective in the world, right? right. You as a rested, mm-hmm. um, you know, 
you've, you've had time on your mat, you've had time to be outside in the world, your work may be more effective than when we're, you know, running on the treadmill and, and grinding 10 to 12 hour days. Right. I can feel things differently now. I mean, before I was just white knuckling through it, to be completely mm-hmm. honest with you, toward the end there, you know, uh, and and a lot. I see a lot of my colleagues in the same boat. I mean, we're all maybe in the same boat. We're by the end of a career uh, or quote unquote end, um, the 20 year mark, let's say, uh, you know, you're just kind of getting through the day. I hate to say that, but that's been my experience with my colleagues and myself. Um and now, um, so when you're getting through the day like that, you can't really feel what's going on. You're just, you're just there and it's, it's okay. Uh, but it's now when you've taken all the, the pressure off of yourself for a minute, you can actually feel you're more intuitive. I mean, I'm actually kind of more lined up intuitively. That's why I connected with you. I just felt a really strong connection. And, and I mean, a year ago or two years ago, it just, it would be blocked. I wouldn't have it. And so we wouldn't have this awesome conversation. And so I'd be missing out on these little moments um, of healing because being on wholehearted healer is actually healing um, for me. And Mm -hmm. so, and so I, you know, so I guess what I'm saying is that all the running around is actually not helpful to, to your, to your intuition and your healing. It's actually the opposite. So taking, like you said, taking moments, taking breaks will actually improve your intuition, your ability to feel and see and hear and make decisions, really good decisions about your health, your personal well-being. Um, and so, the, I mean, that's been my experience and I've seen it go the other way where folks, colleagues of mine have not taken breaks and to be honest, Avine, it doesn't go well um, when folks don't take those breaks. Um, so I don't know if you've seen that in your your folks too. Or, but... Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I myself was burned out. So I, I yeah, I, I know that that's that's is true. My dream, I guess, is for the like you know the next generation coming up. So I have college students and um, one who's seeking you know to move into this helping profession and. Um, just wondering if this awareness, if approaching it differently from the beginning mm-hmm. yields a different outcome, you know, yield, like if it's possible to remain wholehearted while fully engaged in the work. Mm, beautiful question. I kind of looked up wholehearted just to make sure I knew what that meant. And mm-hmm. uh, for your kids and other folks who are just coming up into it, um, Wholehearted means showing complete sincerity and commitment. And um, if the younger generation that are coming up, that are in school, ready to pop out and get into the world, they can um, what they need be um, sincere and committed. Um, that would be a journey, a journey for them. I do think, for me personally, when I when I think of wholehearted living, I think of um, putting your feet in mentally, spiritually, physically, um, and emotionally. And so that's how you have to heal before you get burned out on all four levels, if that makes any sense. I mean, I really think that if you think, oh, am I well today mentally? Am I well today physically? How am I feeling spiritually? How am I feeling emotionally? If I can tap into those four things, 
assuming that you will be burnt, I mean, assuming that the trajectory for most people in the profession, especially now more than ever, is there's a high chance you're going to feel burnt out. And I don't know how many years it was for you, Avine, um, where you started that feeling, but to know that it's... Yeah, for me, I, I it was after my youngest was born. So about 10, year, 10 to 12 years in the profession Okay. with the additional, um, you know, with motherhood and then our youngest was born premature. So some mm-hmm. medical sick, you know, mm-hmm. so then it, it, I describe it as balls in the air or plates, spinning plates. And that as long as everything, as long as life doesn't happen, nobody gets sick. There's no preschool graduation that pops up on my schedule when I'm supposed to see 40 patients, mm-hmm. um, then it's okay. It's okay in the sense that I don't, you know, I noted at that time in my life that I didn't want to slow down, right? Because slowing down felt dangerous because then I would really have to feel what I was trying not to feel, which I think is the start of this burnout process, right? Mm. Like if we're, and that's why I think your, your books and mindfulness, bringing awareness to how we're feeling is such, it sounds like such a simple thing, but when you are running at 95 (laughs) miles per hour, and just trying to keep everything going, that's kind of a revolutionary idea to slow down and actually look at stuff because then you might have to change the way that you're doing things. And there's a resistance to that. Yeah, because changing, I mean, could be leaving the profession. And I think that that's scary for young people. I mean, for me, um, I almost left the profession and got the PhD, took the licensing exam, didn't pass it. And I was like, I'm going to be a, I'm going to open a yoga studio. Screw Mm -hmm. this. And so, I mean, uh, and who knows, (laughs) who knows uh, if I made the right decision, but no, I did. Um, You know, I I think that the whole structure of, like you said, the the long journey to being a doctor or to being a nurse, or, I mean, it it, it may need to be tweaked a bit. I mean, it's, you know, they're finally bringing um, mindfulness into the, into the medical school. When I was there, they they were starting to bring it into the medical centers. Um, they had retreats for doctors. However, the suicide rate for doctors in where I was, was way too high. I think there were seven in, I don't know how many years, like a number of years, it was overwhelming. I think just even one, you know, one, but, um, in any case, so they had, because of that, they brought in all of this incredible, um, other, experts to talk about mindfulness and meditation. And, and, and it, it, I hope it's still going on. It was great. So we want to be able to have the young folks engage in those classes, engage in um, asking for what they need. I, um, I remember asking for a group therapy for uh, interns. When I was an intern, I said, we need to help to talk about what's going on, but there was nothing available. Uh, and we couldn't have, no one really could afford to go into, pro- to, to see a private therapist at that time. Um, so, you know, I do think that um, the, hopefully I'm, I'm, I have great faith that the young folks who are, and your daughter, I think she says your daughter, is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Ooh. Uh, I hope she's one of the um, stellar folks who really just um, says, oh, I do need these A, B, and C things and goes to leadership to ask for it. That's the only way that I think it's going to tweak uh, in the meantime, you know, she's got you as a, as a yogi to, to help, you know, guide her a little bit. I do think having ways to, you know, transcendental meditation or yoga or something to add into the mix, a hundred percent helps. I, I mean, mm-hmm. well, and you talk about, you know, in your bio about the intersection of these spiritual practices, these mm-hmm. tools that have been passed down 
um, for millennia really. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, we talk about evidence-based medicine. Those have been time, those have been tested. They've been important enough. You know, they were passed down through an oral tradition and, and then written down. And so there's great power in things, but I, I really do think that we like to make things complicated, you know, so that the breath is the most mm. transformative practice likely that we have. It's the access to our um, autonomic nervous system and, and pressing reset. And, but we think, um, we just think, oh, it has to be more complex than that. <laughs> exactly. And the other thing, uh, Avine, is, is um, essential oils. They're now using um, olfactory cures, um, quote unquote, in, in hospitals. I mean, for mm -hmm. veterans with PTSD, they now have um, particular essential oils uh, that they're just starting to add into therapy. Uh, it's phenomenal. Right when I was leaving, um, they were just starting all these alternate, quote unquote, alternative ways to manage um, post-traumatic stress and schizophrenia and some of these other addictions, of course, um, that were actually helping tremendously. Uh, so there, I love role. that. And, and to just look at, I always encourage people to look at the gamut of your toolkit, right? So over the weekend, you needed urgent care, right? You needed Western medicine to help make sure you didn't break something or um, and, and there's this whole gamut of tools available, but it's, it's just, what are we going to use and actually practice so that mm -hmm. we can, you know, we can overcome addiction and find ourselves in recovery, or we can extend our career in a helping profession and feel wholehearted. You know, the reason I, I called this podcast, the wholehearted podcast is because for a long time, I used to talk about that I felt like the house, I love growing plants, but I, you know, I'll either love them too much and give <laughs> them too much water, or I'll just forget them for a week. And then, you know, once they're crispy, like water doesn't hold. Right. And so I love the, the wholehearted idea to me is like a, a, a sponge that's holding water. And I think mm -hmm. that when we're, when we are nourished and cared for and rested and um, and challenged in our work, right? All of these things. But when we find, and I don't like the word balance because I, I think at certain times in our life, we have to lean into things. Other times we have to back off. But I think that sense of like being able to hold water <laughs> so that the water doesn't, I'm not so dried out and dried up that the water doesn't just pass directly through me. That's like beyond burned out, you know? Mm, mm, mm -hmm. It is, it is. Yes. And I agree with you about the plants that, that, you know, it, it's okay to ask the plants what they need. Um, I mean, you, you do, you kind of touch the soil, you look at the leaf, you're like, Oh, what do you need today? And, and that's the same thing for us. I mean, what do you need? And I think that we forget that um, we take care of everything. Like you said, the plants, the babies and the children, college um, neighbors and therapists and, you know, other therapists and patients, but we, you know, we forget to just touch our soil and say, hmm, what do you need today? And so I'm hoping that um, there's a, what what your work is doing and and all the people you have on your podcast they seem like they're everybody seems to be lining up in a really positive way to really ask this question and to start helping people come to answers and uh so i think being in the south here i really um i've had time to, i moved from san diego to savannah georgia and i've had time to uh feel what it feels like to be here in the humidity and, and to really slow it, slow down and ask what I need, my, what my body needs in humidity. And it's different completely um, than the West coast. So, you know, it, it's okay to pivot and say, Oh, I need something else today. I need something different. 
I think that's a really profound and one of the most powerful, you know, I always like ask the guest, well, what do you, what's one thing, you know? Um, but I'm thinking back to when you were, you know, getting up and your list of 15 things to do, none of those 15 things I'm guessing were, what do I need today? You know, you'd get up and you'd launch <laughs> into get, get it, checking stuff off that list and getting the dopamine hit. And so it's so revolutionary and so simple. Like, what do I need today? Right. And, and what I need today might be super different than what I need next week or a year from now. And so it's okay. I love what you said to pivot, to change your mind, to adjust your plan. You're not failing. You're just, you're, you're responding to life. And people who are addicted and in early recovery, this is the hardest thing for them to do. So it's hard even for us to do. Of course, it's the hardest thing for uh, people in it who are uh, addicted to do to actually, instead of grabbing a drink, a kind of a normal thing you would do at the end of every day is to say, what is going on right now? What do I need? And, and um, the first thought is I need wine or I need, you know, I need a sleeping pill or whatever it is. And um, now we can say, Ooh, um, what do I need? Um, as someone who is in recovery, I just, I might need to lie down on the floor, um, for 10 minutes or light a candle and sit or, you know, so it really, I'm a big fan of simplifying. So if anyone gets any messages, really just simplify things and, um, and really declutter the, all the, the, the chitter chatter that's going on. Yeah. And like you have just mentioned, when you do that, um, when you, you know, take the superfluous 12 items off your to-do list and really focus on what is, what is most important to myself and, and that I want to do today. Um, we, when we do that, we we're giving feedback to ourselves. It's like this positive feedback loop mm-hmm. and, and we trust ourselves more and we begin to trust our word to ourselves more right? Because when we're in that really busy mode, when we're, you know, doing all the things we make, we might try to check in and make promises to ourselves, but we often break those promises where we would never let down someone outside of ourselves. And so what I have found is that like building my trust in my word to myself, it, it makes me feel safe in my body. It, my nervous system responds. So that seems to be an important key. Right. And that's really like a childlike key. I mean, that's like being that three or four year old. Of course, you trust yourself playing a game or you trust yourself skipping or, you know, it's it's like a, a natural part of us that gets really dampened down in the course of, of, of working, like you said, life. Um, and if there's a way to any way to move back into that trusting childlike place, um, it's extremely healing. At least for me, it has been in the last three years, especially in the pandemic when, you know, I haven't traveled. I haven't done much of anything for many years. Uh, it's odd because the point of being here in, the, in on, on the East Coast was to be closer to Europe that none of that happened, of course. Uh, so home, um, which is beautiful. But, but, it, but that allowed me to regain the trust in myself, my decisions, um, and you know, the, the sky's the limit when you actually trust yourself. I mean, you really can connect better. You can, you eat better, you, you sleep better. It's an odd thing that happens with trust. And so Rebecca, what are you working on now? You said you've been writing. What's your, what's your upcoming project? 
Right. Uh, just similar to you, Avine, I uh, say I'm writing. and <laughs> <laughs> We're in a club, Rebecca. I love it. <laughs> oh, my God. Speaking of being wholeheartedly honest. Um, yeah, no, I'm working on um, the concept of um, wellness and retirement. And um, mm. I, I haven't seen it out there. I've seen a lot of financial stuff in retirement, obviously, a lot of podcasts on that. But very few psychologists either retire, and so they don't talk about it. Um, and, and similar to a lot of other doctors. Um, and so there's very little out there. So I'm really kind of doing a deep dive into understanding um, the experience of, um, like you said, releasing uh, uh, and having the grief over releasing a career and also what do you, what is there going to next and what that feels like and who do you interact with? And do you have a, do you have a group of people I, you know, I moving, for example, is a huge thing, you know, for, for most people who are retiring, they probably can't stay where mm -hmm. they are due to just everything being so, at least in California, it's super expensive. Um, so we came to a place that was less expensive. That's a, so that's a whole thing that um, emotionally that is very little discussed and that's what I'm working on. We'll see. Well, that sounds thrilling. And mm -hmm. my husband and I were just talking the other day about, you know, I think, um, there's so much collective wisdom in people who are um, retired, right? Mm -hmm. And in our culture, um, I don't know if we really tap that wisdom as effectively right. as we could. I mean, in the form of mentoring younger yes. people or, you know, volunteering or being leaders in your community, uh, I really see that as a rich potential source that is untapped. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so exactly. Maybe that's you'll yeah, maybe you'll join us soon in retirement. No, I, yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's that's really exciting. I think that's that's important work you're doing. And um, thank you, Rebecca, for all the work that you've done in the world for your the good work, um, the hard work that you did for years at the VA, helping um, our nation's veterans get better care and um, get over um, their addictions into recovery and. Um, yeah, thank you. Is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you would like to talk about? I think we, wow, we covered a lot of ground, haven't we? We did. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I want to leave us or leave uh, leave this out there. Um, it's a quote from Jack Cornfield. You know, he's a meditation and a Buddhist um, scholar, and I, I love his books. Uh, and he wrote, as surely as there is a voyage away, there is a journey home. And I, uh, as we talked today, I found that to be helpful for, for me to ground myself. And, and I hope it's helpful for your listeners. Yeah, I think that's a fairly universal truth for all of us. And I think it likely happens multiple times in a lifetime for people. Mm. Um, and, and it's a beautiful thing to remember, right? That even when we feel lost, we're not there forever. And mm -hmm. um, that finding home is, is inevitable. It's really a beautiful thought to leave us with. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you, Rebecca.